Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is April 20th, and our chapter for today is 2 Kings chapter 8. Let me say at the outset that I have asked that a sheet that you can download be put up on TonyCrisp.org. Go to the menu under Resources and look for the chart of the kings and prophets. That's the way it'll be listed, the chart of the kings and the prophets. Because as we go through this Samuel Kings and Chronicles material, I assure you, if you're not confused, you will be. Because many of these prophets, many of these kings, they cross over one another's timelines, and you don't know whether you are talking about a prophet to the northern kingdom, to the southern kingdom, because sometimes the names sound very familiar. For instance, in the southern kingdom of Judah, you had Jehoshaphat, whose dates were 872 to 847, and then his son Jehoram, as we would call him, J-E-H-O-R-A-M, he reigned from 848 to 841. But in the northern kingdom, you had Omri, then his son Ahab, and then Ahaziah, and he had a son that reigned from 852 to 841 in the northern kingdom, whose name was, you've got it, Jehoram, or Joram, as sometimes he was called, J-O-R-A-M. And it's very, very confusing. As you read through these prophets, because they are all Jewish, they have many times names that sound alike, or one letter or two will be different, and it really is confusing to the Western mind. And so this chart will put all of the kings, the northern and southern kings, the books of the Bible primarily, and will let you know when those books were to be categorized, when they were written, and then... Who prophesied during these particular time periods? It's very important. So we will put up over the next couple of weeks a couple of charts for you to just help you. I would encourage you to download the entire story of the Crimson River. Now that is on there, and all you have to do is put in your name, address, phone number, and so forth. And for those of you who are pastors and leaders and Bible teachers, we have the story of the Crimson River already on PowerPoint. You can just download it and make your own PowerPoint point presentation, and we have them already separated out, and you can just download that, and I hope you'll take advantage of that. So as you read through this material, this is kind of like uh, in the New Testament, the book of Acts. It is the timetable skeleton of understanding the Old Testament, because what it does is it allows you then to hang all of these books that were written, all of the prophetic books that were written, all of the Psalms, the Proverbs, the Lamentations, what we call the major and the minor prophets, and remember Remember, the major prophets are not more important than the minor prophets. They are just longer in their writing of the book. So just keep this in mind because as you get into the, especially the stories of the northern kingdom of Elijah and Elisha, and Elisha dealt with both the northern and the southern kingdoms. He went back and forth. 
and you have stories of both. And sometimes it's just, even if you do this a lot and you study a lot, it is easy to get some of these names mixed up and it's discombobulated in your mind. But when we come to chapter 8, again, we're telling the great story of God as it relates to this wonderful man of God called Elisha. And this is the favorite designation of the Bible for him, the man of God, sometimes called the man of the God, to distinguish him as the great prophet of Yah, of Hashem, of the God of the Jewish people, in contradistinction to those of the foreign gods that were all around. And so chapter 8 opens up, then Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life. This is the Shunammite woman saying, Arise and go, you and your husband, and stay wherever you can, for Hashem, the Lord, has called for a famine, and furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. Now, this sounds almost like the dream that Pharaoh had, only this is the man of God saying, I care about you because you cared about me, and you provided a place for me, and I prophesied that you would have a son. You did. He died. God restored him to life. And so we're partners in ministry. So I want you to get out of here because this whole area here in northern Israel is going to be in a drought. So you need to go to the land of the Philistines on the coastal plain because there, there will be food. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God. This is verse two. And she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines for seven years. Again, this is very much a common practice as we have seen with Elijah. We've seen it with Elisha who traveled around. We saw it earlier with Naomi and Elimelech, her husband, where Ruth came into the picture. And it came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to make her appeal to the king for her house and for for her land. The reason is someone had taken it. When you left a piece of land and a place that had been tilled and already trees removed and so forth, and there perhaps was already a shelter that had been built there, people would come in as squatters. Then the king talked with Gehazi. We call him Gehazi. Now remember, there is no long I as such in the Hebrew language, and Gehazi is the way that that would be pronounced or something akin to that. He was the servant of the man of God. Remember, he's the one that got leprosy. He said, tell me, please, all the great things that Elisha has done. Now it happened as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life, that there was the woman whose son had been restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, my lord, O king, this is the woman and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him. So the king appointed a certain officer to her saying, restore all that was hers. Now listen to this. And all the proceeds of the field from the day that she left the land until now. Not only did he restore the land, but he restored everything that would have normally come to her had she been tilling the land with the harvest. So God provided for her. Now, wasn't it an accident or chance or was it the great providence of God that let all of that come about just at the right time? Now, you say, now, wait just a minute. 
if this is the case, then why was Gehazi, who had leprosy, talking to the king? Well, remember, all of these stories are not sequential. All of these stories are not in order always, and sometimes they are part of a digression. But the Bible says that Gehazi was a leper for the rest of his days. And so we don't know what the circumstance is, but this is the same servant, Gehazi, that took the leprosy from Naaman, the great Syrian general who had been baptized in the Jordan and had been healed. And then Elisha went to Damascus and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria was sick. And it was told him, saying, The man of God has come here. And the king said to Hazael, Take a present in your hand and go meet the man of God. Now, this again is an amazing thing because here was Elisha going just where he needed to be, just when he needed to be there. And here was Ben-Hadad who despised him most of the time, but there was this love-hate relationship because he knew he was a man of God, a true man of God. And he said, Go and inquire the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? So Hazael went to meet him and took a present with him of every good thing of Damascus, forty camel loads. And he came and stood before him and said, Your son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? Now, this is an amazing thing. I have had people from the Middle East that I have mentored over the years that come to me and they call me their father much like Paul would have been a father to his son Timothy. And they do that, especially in the Arab culture, which is very much like the culture of the Bible, far more than much of the Jewish culture, because it has been watered down through the years through the rabbinical teachings. But as far as the culture of how people live, how they respond, how they act, how they talk, many times the Arabs are closer to what we would consider a biblical culture than the those of the Jewish people, many of which came from European Ashkenazi descent. So it's a long story and too much to get into to how all of that came about to our modern day Jewry. However, I want you to understand that this is a very common practice. Even some that wouldn't necessarily agree with me at every level, they still call me their father out of a term of endearment and respect. And this is, Ben-Hadad was not looking as one who was a disciple by any means of the God of Israel, but he so revered and respected Elisha that he said when his servant went, your son Ben-Hadad. I know that sounds odd to you. It's just the way it is. And he asked, shall I recover from this disease? And Elisha said to him, to uh, Hazael, go say to him, you will certainly recover. Now, this is amazing because had Hazael not killed Ben-Hadad, then he would have recovered. Now, the story, as we're going to read, just hang with me here. However, the Lord has shown me, this is what Elisha said to Hazael, he will really die. Then he set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. And Hazael said, Why is my Lord weeping? And he answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire. Their young men you will kill with a sword, and you will dash their children and rip open their women with child. In other words, he's going to be a cruel, harsh dictator, this Hazael. And so Hazael said, What is your servant, a dog, that he would do such a gross thing? 
And Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. Now, this very much puts me in the mind of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Remember, the prophet of God went and said to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, while he was out in the field, he tore his brand new robe up and gave Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, ten pieces and said, you're going to get ten of the tribes and only one is going to remain true to the household of David, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and you're going to get the majority of it and I'm going to make you as King David and bless you in the same way I blessed King David. Build you a dynasty just like I did King David if you'll walk with me. So what did he do? He tried to bring about everything in his own power. He didn't wait like King David, but he raised his hand against God's anointed, against his superior, against his king. And this is exactly what Hazael did. Of course, he couldn't believe that he'd do such a thing. Isn't it amazing how wicked the human heart is? We say, well, I'll tell you, I'd do a lot of things, but I'd never do that. Well, you don't know what you would do because your heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And without the grace of Almighty God intervening in our life day after day, we'd do anything. We would. You would. I would. We'd do anything outside of the grace of God. And so what we need to say is, there go I, save the grace of God. There I would be, save the grace of God. I'd do that if it were not for the grace of God because our hearts are wicked. Sometimes when we condemn other people, it's because we don't necessarily have a hang-up about that, but we have hang-ups about other things. So be careful. Every man has his own fish to fry. Every man has his own besetting sin. So be careful what you say, because sin will separate us from God, and a judgmental spirit will poison not only your own life, but poison everyone around you. And so, sure enough, this is exactly what happened. Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master and said to him, what did Elisha say to you? And he answered, he told me that you would surely recover. But listen to this, verse 15, just like Elisha said, but it happened on the next day that he took a thick cloth and dipped it in water, that is, so that it'd be heavy and smother him, and he spread it over his face so that he died, and Hazael reigned in his place. The man of God, Elisha, right again. During this day, would you take time and say, oh God in heaven, have mercy on me. Help me to walk with you because I know surely without your grace and the filling of your Holy Spirit that lives within me, I would go astray in an instant. Remember the apostle Peter when Jesus said, Peter, listen to me. Don't make your brags and your boast. The enemy, Satan, has desired you so that he could sift you as sweet. Now the implication is there that he could do it. I am amazed over and over again. I am astounded at times at how people talk about how they're going to box the devil's ears and how they're going to do this. Now, let me tell you, if it were not for the prevenient grace of God in protecting us, uh, why Satan could chop us up like mincemeat, we'd be no match for him whatsoever. So be careful what you do. Read the book of Jude and Michael, the archangel, and how he dealt with Satan and let the Lord rebuke him. And I pray that as you walk along the way, you will hunker down real close to God and allow him to continually protect your soul as you walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. 
Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.